Hey friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. We've been reading some stuff. A lot, Renee. I even read on my holidays. This is unheard of. I read two books on my holidays. I actually made time for it, and it was lovely. It's been lovely. I'm averaging, I think, two audiobooks and two paperbacks per week. Are you listening to these books on, like, 2x? I don't... No, uh, 1.8. Oh, wow. You're, you're almost there, though. But I find that 1.8 is... Already maybe a little bit too fast sometimes, and I slow down depending on the book. But yes, most of them are 1.8. It's so interesting because I talk, to, I talk to people about it, and they can't believe. And I, and I press play to let them hear what it sounds like, and it sounds like so fast. But when you listen to it, it just, it just doesn't sound so fast at all. It's weird. Who knew? Who knew? If... Last year, us had been like, Anna's going to get super into audiobooks. You would have been like, no, that timeline is wrong. I would have been, that, that timeline is wrong about pretty much everything about this year. <laughs> and the last year. And 2016. So what books have you been reading? First of all, I read Silvia Moreno Garcia's new novel. I've read her entire list now. I love her work. And what I admire the most about her is that her books are so different from one another. You never know what to expect from them. So that it's really refreshing to me. The new one's called Gods of Jade and Shadow. And it's kind of like a fairy tale slash quest set in the Mayan underworld in Mexico City. Well, all over Mexico, rather, in the 20s. And it's about a girl finds herself having to help the god of the underworld to get back his throne. And it's just wonderful. It's feminism and it's about her finding a place in the world at a time when girls didn't have a place in the world. And it's about her leaving her family behind that's quite abusive and falling in love a little bit with the god. It was just amazing. I really loved it. The next one's Together with The Raven Tower by Anne Lackey, my favorite book of the year, The Rise of Kiyoshi by FCE. And it's a book about Avatar Kiyoshi of Avatar The Last Airbender fame. Ever since watching Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, I have dreamed of the day where I would get to see or read about an Avatar that was an earthbender and that it was Kiyoshi, my, one of my favorite characters. And she was like, she was very secondary in the series, but it was just amazing. And it's a revenge story. And it's about an avatar who doesn't care about being the avatar at all. And she's bisexual too, on page. It was just so incredible, super well-written. It's the same author who wrote The Epic Crush of Jenny Lowe, which is a retelling of the Monkey King from the perspective of a girl who is the reincarnation of the Monkey King's staff. And it was amazing. Also amazing was This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal Emotar and Max Gladstone. It's a very poetic book, but it's also a book about two women who have fallen in love 
even though they are enemies from different time warring factions. It's a really cool novel. And every time something happened and I was like, oh my God, this is so clever. And there were lots of those moments. The other one that I read was a thriller by Louise Candlish. It's called Those People. And it's about a very middle-class street in England where everybody gets along well. Everybody has their own cushy house in this well-to-do street. Then a new neighbor moves in to the end of the street. And he's of a different class. And he starts like being really, really noisy and obnoxious. And it looks at all of those subtle class economical divides in England, but it's also a brilliant work that shows how having a terrible neighbor can really impact your health, like your mental health. I know this because I've I've had a a neighbor here where I'm living right now. They moved away, uh, but they were so noisy and they were stomping, stomping, stomping. I never knew when there was going to be a party. And that was just like giving me so much anxiety. I couldn't live without dreading coming home. And this novel looks at this and does this really well too. And finally, I read a new novel called Whisper Network by Chandler Baker. It's a thriller. There is a murder. But it's a novel that takes place within a company in which... The guy who is being tapped to be the new CEO has a history of sexual harassment that has been whispered around the workplace, but not dealt with. And all the women that work there have something that they whisper about. So there's a whisper network about this guy that they whisper to each other, like in the background, because that's the only way they have found to address the problem. But then it becomes a bigger issue when he's touched to be the CEO and what do they do about it. And it was really good. All of this, I love this book so much. And as I can tell, like I'm reading all over the place. Thrillers, science fiction, fantasy, YA, and yeah. What about you? What's your list? You make it you make my list sound exciting. I went on a road trip and for the road trip I got the audiobook of A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martin. When I wrote about A Memory Called Empire on Lady Business, I said it was kind of like if you combine Ancillary Justice and the Goblin Emperor with some queerness and blended it up really fast. It's about an ambassador who goes to the Empire at the Empire's request and discovers that her predecessor has probably been murdered and all the political shenanigans that come with trying to survive in a place where you're being politely kidnapped and controlled and manipulated. And it was so, so good. In my head, this was a standalone, but it's not a standalone. There's another book after this. So I'm excited because I found the ending to not have enough banging. (laughs) Arcady Martin, let's fix that in the sequel. Some banging. Come on. I read Meet Cute by Helena Hunting, which is a romance novel about this famous TV star and the protagonist who like collides with him in a football field. And then later it turns out they're going to the same law school. And it was cute. So you didn't love it? It was cute enough. And I really liked the relationship that the main character had with the love interest's sister. 
I found that relationship to be like the most interesting aspect of the book for me. Who knew? Gonna read a romance novel and then get attached to this like parental relationship more than you are to the romance. Okay, Renee, sure. And then I read Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And this is by the host of Pop Culture Happy Hour, which I think a lot of our listeners also listen to. Linda Holmes is super smart and does like really great commentary on Twitter. If you don't follow her on Twitter, she's great. And this is about a woman who is leaving her husband, but before she can leave, he is killed in a car accident. And then one of her best friends has a friend who is a struggling baseball player. He used to play baseball and now he can't play baseball anymore. And he's looking for an apartment to rent to get away from it all. So this widow who didn't actually love her husband that much anymore and was trying to leave him and is dealing with like him dying before she can get out and this, you know, failed baseball player come together. And it's actually a novel about like emotional growth. It's a romance too, but it's, Honestly, more about like learning to listen to yourself, learning to trust yourself and your feelings, uh, learning how to let things go. Does it have a happy ending? It does. Do they end up together? Yeah. Okay, imagine to my audiobook list. Well, that was quick. Next, I read Night and Silence by Shannon McGuire, which is another entry into the October Day series, which I liked better than the last one I read. The series is so long now that I have forgotten details and the books are really good at like reminding you of things that you need to know, but I also feel kind of lost now because it's been a while since I've read the previous books. I did get the paperbacks uh, for my birthday, so I might go back and like reread the whole series before the next book comes out. I'm kind of curious how long the series is going to be, to be quite honest. Are these two together? Is that a spoiler? Yes. Probably for people who haven't read the books, that uh, that won't mean nothing. But for people who have, listen, you don't have to rage quit. Because yes, that was my worry, that I was going to have to quit the series. But it's fine. You don't have to quit. Next, I read Toxic by Lydia Kang, which is about a team of research subjects that are going to the ship that is a bio ship. And it's about to die. But unfortunately, there is somebody left behind on the ship. Somebody who was not supposed to exist. Oh, no. This book was bananas. This is how I I was selling it to people. The two, like the love, the the main character and then her love interest are naked together within 24 hours of meeting each other. And then they fall in love later. Sure. Perfect. Perfect. Yes, I'm here for this. So you already know if that's something you like. So, but was it good in the end? I really, really liked it. Also, mostly because uh, there was a part in the end that subverted one of my like hated YA tropes with regards to parents. And I was like, I'm in. I'm in for this. So I hope there's a sequel to this because I want to know what happens next. There's an evil corporation I need to take down. And I'm all for why novels and why series about taking down evil corporations and then the last book i read before my reading slump began was a nonfiction book called we are never meeting in real life by samantha irby this was a series of essays that samantha irby wrote about her life 
it took me a little while to sort of connect with it, but toward the end, I was just cackling out in public as I shopped because I was listening to it as an audiobook, and Samantha Irby reads it herself. And so I would just be browsing an aisle at Target, and she would say something on this audiobook, and I would just crack up in public. People would be like, what is wrong with that person? <laughs> Samantha Irby's experiences, like trying to find relationships, like trying to manage an adult life, like it all speaks to me so much. However, there is an animal death. What was a little harder for me to deal with was the way that Samantha Irby talked about her dad, who was abusive and slightly useless. I'm having one of those years, and it was really tough kind of to read those parts and feel like the same emotion, because she's really good at like making you feel things and emotions when you really identify with what she's going through. So that was really tough. She's also, she's also like funny, not a comedian way, but uh, look, look kind of like a millennial gaze look at this shit that we're having to deal with way that I think uh, might be universal to people who are not millennials because our, you know, society is rotten at its core and a lot of these things are happening to everybody. And I'm really glad I read this book. It was really great. And after I read that, I entered a terrible, terrible reading slump. And that is where I've been. I'm pretty I'm pretty ready to like be out of this reading slump because I cannot be in the middle of a reading slump during fall book season. There's too many great things coming out that I want to read. Spider-Man Far From Home is the 2019 MCU film that follows the epic final battle with Thanos in Endgame. Peter Parker is at a crossroads between being just a regular teenager and being Spider-Man, and he's got to choose how he wants his future to look and how he wants to carry on legacies that were left behind to him. I went to the theater to see this, and I cried. From the moment the movie started, right? <laughs> Not from the moment the movie started, but like there were moments where there was a lot, there were some tears, like on the plane with Happy. Oh my God, yes. Well, what did you think of this film? At the time when I watched it, I really liked it. Since watching it, my love for it has dwindled a little bit. Not in any like concrete way. I just feel like maybe it's not as good as Homecoming, for example. Because the first one was such a perfect movie for a Spider-Man movie. And this one, I think, maybe not so much. But I still, I still really, really, really liked it. Lots of things about it. The mourning of Tony Stark. The fact that half of the characters in the movie were deeply mourning him. And the other half was hating him so much which I thought was a really interesting way to look at one particular character in the franchise that was not universally loved and uh, because he was a complicated man. I loved Peter Parker. He's such a teenager in this movie, like really just wanting to, you know, hook up with the girl of his dreams that he's in love with and just wants to enjoy his life in Europe and be a kid 
he was trying so hard to be an Avenger in the first movie, right? Remember that? He was just like, he was just so into it. And then, of course, he realized that being an Avenger is like really, really high stakes and super high responsibility. And maybe that he's not prepared for that, which I think is a very grown-up thing to realize. Then, of course, all the grown-ups in this movie are like, no, 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 you're fine. You can totally be an Avenger. He's like, guys, dude, no. Then I feel like he was forced in a situation that he wasn't ready for. But he found it in himself to cope with that. Uh, you know what? I take it back. I really love this movie. <laughs> so you convinced yourself. I'm back again <laughs> in the pendulum of the hate-love relationship with Marvel movies. And I quite really liked his relationship with Mysterio. And I think he, uh, Tom Holland had a lot of chemistry with Jake Lowell. In all the trailers, the movie was, oh, Mysterio comes from another dimension where bad things have happened. So you think that Marvel is going to introduce the multiverse, which they could do because it's in their comics. But in the movie, it's actually just a bunch of disgruntled Stark employees. And I have to admit that I was a little disappointed because I really wanted there to be the multiverse. So now I'm curious as to whether or not that means it's just completely off the table. No, it's not because uh, the Doctor Stranger movie is about the multiverse. Yeah, and I think that's why maybe I should have known better because I was talking to somebody after I saw the film. I was like, I always thought it was a little weird that the multiverse thing came up in a Spider-Man movie when, in my mind, a Doctor Strange movie makes a ton more sense. But... Remember, we didn't know about the Doctor, the second Doctor Strange movie. At the time, exactly. Yeah, that's true. It makes a lot more sense for it to come from a Doctor Strange film than a Spider-Man film. I am just really tempted to like see Marvel get creative with the way they match up characters. Like, I would love to see more like random alliances. Like, I would love to see Doctor Strange and Spider-Man saving New York as it like different versions of new york try to collide together that's a comic book concept i see that scarlet witch is in the doctor strange movie isn't it an alternate dimension wanda that has the babies that end up being the young avengers which you know would be really cool well also they've set up for young avengers pretty well i think because that five-year gap at the end of endgame all those characters just age up five years. So now you like Scott Lang's daughter is a teenager. I'm just really interested to see where they go next. As for this film and how it like ties into the larger universe, they're positioning Spider-Man as like the new team leader. I don't know how I feel about that. So I guess we will have to see it. But I guess Captain Marvel is too intergalactical for that to be on Earth all the time. Black Panther could be the leader. Or is he too preoccupied with Wakanda and the role of Wakanda in the world? That's why Tony was always felt like like the natural center around which everyone could rotate, right? He had the gravity of being having the position that he had. All the other characters like have different stuff going on, and I honestly don't know how they're going to handle or tie into the Disney shows that are coming out. Like for example, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, there's that series with... Winter Soldier and Falcon. Yeah, but Sam is the new Captain America. How is that going to work? How are they going to tie that 
into things. And I'm also curious if we will ever, 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 ever see any of the characters from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like those characters in the Marvel movies, because they're actually ending Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 7 will be the last season, so there won't be, like, this complication between, like, oh, what's happening on TV, oh, what's happening in the movies, but they'll have the characters, and so I'm curious if we'll maybe see some of those characters come back to the MCU. Like, the more I think about characters that they could make leaders, like, the harder I don't want it to be Peter, because he's so young. Daisy Jones would be such a great leader for the Avengers. (laughs) So I was a disappointed with about the lack of alternate realities in Spider-Man Far From Home too. But I quite liked that it was so meta and that he was dealing with not real monsters and was very, very firmly human shenanigans happening there. And I love that he got to use the Peter Tingle. Don't call it the Peter Tingle. So my favorite parts of the film are him trying to like you know strike up conversations flirt with her her like slowly realizing that peter is spider-man and then they're like super little awkward dance like oh is that the only reason that you were watching me she's like yeah 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 this is like the perfect like oh teenagers with feelings trying to protect themselves and i loved that the romance scene was like on a busted up bridge while he's like been beaten because <laughs> he tried so hard to like make it perfect i'm like listen dude i have like guess what adulthood is this is adulthood finding your moments even when they're imperfect the other thing that i really liked was even if peter doesn't become like the team leader showing him as kind of like the emotional successor to, to tony as an avenger was really nice because i don't think that the mcu can ever like replace Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. There's no doing that. It's not possible because he was so in- integral to the series. But like doing it in a way that centers his emotional impact, it's going to be way more successful. And I think they really, they really managed to do that. For example, like the the scene that I talked about at the beginning, where I was in tears, where Peter was on the plane making making a suit. I agree with you that it was beautifully done. The thing that really got me, though, that I didn't actually think that deeply about uh, until I read a post that KJ wrote, how long has Fury been a scroll? I think it was just post-endgame that he needed some time to recover, like probably all major characters did. I assumed it was what you said, right? He just needed time post-endgame. But the way KJ framed it, Made me go, oh crap, what if they're going to do something even more... No, because they made some basic mistakes that we hadn't seen Fury do in previous movies. Yeah, that's true. Also be really like emotionally abusive, kind of. I was like sitting there the whole movie going, why is Fury being so mean to Peter? I've ne- like I've read Fury as like this very intense character, but he's never been like... He's been stern, but he hasn't been like cruel. And the Fury in this movie was just like all over the place. Well, now we know why. <laughs> I, probably that's what it is. But like, it's really interesting to think that some fanfic writer could get very creative. Was there anything else in the movie that you really liked? The hotel where the kids stayed at in Prague, that really beautiful, gorgeous hotel, is the same hotel that I stayed at for my conference when I did when I went there a couple of years ago. It was really cool scene because it's such a beautiful place and I couldn't believe it was staying there. <laughs> so technically you're like once removed, like you're once removed from Tom Holland. And more importantly, Zendaya. Indeed. I hadn't thought of that, but that is the truth. 
you were in the same place they were. Yeah. One part that I thought was interesting, and I wonder if it's going to come up again, is Flash. Like, at the very end, you see them all coming home from their trip. It's his butler waiting and not his parents. And they've been doing some interesting things with with him, and I can't tell if maybe he's going to become more important later, like maybe as a villain. Like a nemesis. Oh, the Green Goblin, maybe. They could do something different with the Green Goblin this time. It's just interesting that they keep doing the, the this character development on him. I look at at everything that Marvel does now. I really like this film. I don't. I do think that Homecoming is, is a stronger film, but I also think that that might be because we all went into Homecoming going, oh, another Spider-Man movie, and then we all loved it, and it was so bright and fun and refreshing that I'm not sure that Far From Home was ever going to be able to recapture that surprise. It's a good point. And Jake Gyllenhaal did an excellent job as a villain. I was, like, super convinced. Yep, that scans. It works out. It felt like he was going to be another father slash uncle figure for Peter to begin with. And I was like, oh man, you're letting this kid down so much right now. How many space views would you give Spider-Man Far From Home? Four. Okay, well, I'm giving it five. Four? I didn't see that coming. Didn't your Renee Tingle alert you for that? It did not. My Renee Tingle is broken. Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey came out earlier this year. It's a novel about two sisters, Ivy and Tabitha, who grow up to find out that only one of them gets to go to magic school. The book is from Ivy's perspective, and she is invited at one point to investigate a gruesome murder that takes place at the magic school where Tabitha works. I really, really loved this book, Renee. It's kind of like Harry Potter, but from the perspective of a muggle, the kid who doesn't receive a letter to go to Hogwarts. And what does that do to a kid? We kind of saw it in Harry Potter with Petunia, but it's good to have a book from that person's perspective. It's also kind of like the magicians, but without the asshole characters, which I really, really appreciate. I hated the magicians so fucking much. But it's kind of like that because it's it has a mixture of very down to earth magic at the same time that it has that wonderfulness around it. And I feel like Ivy's caught in the middle of it all because she tries to deny that she doesn't care about it. But as she enters the school, she pretends that she's part of that world to a point that I think that probably delays her investigation a little bit because she's so cut up in that world, seeing all those kids using their magic for stupid things. So, but it's also a novel about, you know, sisters that are estranged and teenagers. Another book that this really reminded me of was uh, The Secret Place by Tana French, who is a thriller writer from Ireland. I love her book so much. And there is this book by her that I sat at a girls' school. And that really reminded me of that. There's a subversion of tropes there because there is this prophecy about the most powerful magician that one of the kids will become. And there's this boy that is so certain that it's going to be him. It's not him. 
And I love that so much. I didn't know what to expect from this book because I've only ever read Gailey's short fiction. The thing about this book is that Ivy is not a very likable person. She lies a lot and she misleads people. She talks about how people don't stick around, they leave her, but she's the one that has like commitment problems, basically. She wouldn't be like a super great friend, so she's not very likable, but I was fascinated by her. I really felt bad for her, too, because some of the stuff that the kind of person that she became was kind of led by feeling so isolated from her sister because she became so isolated from her sister because her sister had the skill that she didn't have. She isolated herself from, you know, pretty much everyone. And she she doesn't deal with her problems. She finds it more easy to deal with other people's problems. And so she becomes a private investigator. Because what other way to avoid dealing with your problems and having to scrape a living by being a private investigator? This book is, like, presented as a mystery, but I don't... Because I think it's really obvious who the killer is really early on. Oh, I just think it was. Oh, you didn't? Because I sure did. I was surprised. I got a little head up about it because I was just like, oh, this re- the sister relationship is so good. But also the reason it was so good is because Tabitha was manipulating Ivy's feelings. I know. That was awful. Ivy had done like, some really terrible things and lied to a lot of people. But her stuff was just words. She could, you know, choose a better path. Tabitha, yikes. Um, yikes. Mm-hmm. Ivy and Tabitha grew up and Tabitha didn't seem to include Ivy in her magical life, right? Like, the way that the story was told, it didn't seem like Tabitha really expressed the joy of magic to Ivy. She didn't share her enjoyment of it. But then we see Raul, for example, who Ivy definitely wants to bang, uh, share his joy with her. And I, I kind of wonder... Like, what if Tabitha had been more like Raul? I think maybe what happened with Tabitha is that she, the whole thing with their mother happened. There were so much expectations placed on her shoulders, and she was a really young girl, too, at the time that it happened. So you can only imagine what that must have done to her. Well, we don't have to imagine. We see what, what that did to her, which is the point of one of the points of the book. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that set them apart. And that move from being really close sisters to being estranged, it just really affected Ivy in a way that I feel maybe never affected Tabitha that much. It just felt so realistic because sometimes people just drift apart. Sisters drift apart. I knew that I really wanted them to like work things out. So that's one of the reasons that why I just really liked the sister relationship. And it, I think it's one of the reasons that why, why somebody might walk away from the book unhappy because... As you watch this, as you watch Ivy and Tabitha reconnect, you get this like hopeful feeling like, oh, they're going to work out their problems. But then you get to the end of the book and you realize, oh, shit, uh, this book just manipulated the hell out of me. And that's how Ivy feels. The book recreates that emotion in the characters in the reader. And I thought that was super effective. Like I was I went in to read some reviews of this book and a lot of the people were like, I felt tricked. I'm like, yeah, congratulations. The book worked. Like, I think one of the points is you're, you're supposed to feel tricked. Yeah, Tabitha had a lot of expectations on her when it came to, like, maybe helping their mother. But it also seems like Tabitha just didn't communicate at all. And that seems to be, like, a big problem with this family. They didn't use, they don't use their words. The answer is more communication, not less. Exactly. 
The book uses magic in trivial ways because these are teenagers. Obviously, they're going to use magic in trivial ways. But what did you think of the more like advanced magic, like the medical magic, and how that was portrayed in the book? In what way exactly? Like, it was very interesting to me that Gailey chose to tell a story about medical magic centering on uh, abortion. It feels very timely, like when we talk about women's health and wellness and how that looks for people who are at risk, like young girls. You you brought it up in a way that centralizes it more than it was for me. You know, it is a very central story of the novel, obviously. I mean, I liked the way that it created this, the relationship between the best friends who are trying to help each other, the question of the responsibility of the teachers and how far they can intervene and whether this is their choice or the choice of, of the kid who wants to be intervened. It is very timely and, and perhaps even more kind of like mirrors the real world, the way that the conversations were had. But it changed a little bit because they were having it in the context of magic discussions. Yeah, exactly. You can't do anything about this with this spell because it only works and up until this point. And after this point, you have to like seek more official medical care. It becomes like an access question. And I found it really fascinating that Gailey chose to use that specific example of medical care and access to that medical care in that way. If you make something hard to access or make make it where you can't, where kids, like people who, like teenage, teenagers basically, can't access medical care without parental permission, what links will they go to? We talk about abortion access now, like, because like multiple states are like banning abortions in the U.S. or restricting its access and making it impossible for, for people, especially people without like money, to access abortion care. I found it fascinating that the book, which was obviously written before some of the stuff that's happened this year, but it's been happening in the U.S. for a while, so it's not that out of, you know, out of pocket. The magic in this book, the way it was described to me, was literally magic exploding a body apart. Using the magic to explode a body and just, like, to pluck out bad stuff. We learned that Alexandria blackmails Tabitha into performing the the procedure on Courtney, it's basically getting a back alley abortion. That's basically what happens. I thought that was just a really fascinating way to like put this in front of people, this issue, like what happens when you block access to medical care without having having to have them like go through a bunch of gates to access it. She yeah, she got blackmailed into doing this like secret abortion, but like what happens if it had gone wrong? And I mean, it didn't go right because that poor girl at the end of the book when Ivy finally figures out what happened. I don't know. It was just really emotional for me to like see somebody who's working in a school with kids to teach kids magic and doesn't care about hurting them with that magic. The person without magic cares more. Which just, yeah, I think it's another another layer of this book is this idea of who deserves to get magic. It's so arbitrary the way that it happens for these two sisters. <laughs> It's like, and how do you address that? Which is arbitrary in all of these books that we read about magic, including the Harry Potter ones. And there are really abusive teachers at Hogwarts, too. Ivy's not perfect. Like, she needed to, t- I mean, she needed to turn her sister in. And she did, and she chose not to. Like, it was really sad. Like, you could see her disappointing Mrs. Webb. Like, you could see it happening. 
because I'm pretty sure Mrs. Webb also, like, once Ivy came forward and explained everything to everybody, I'm pretty sure Miss Webb quickly figured out what happened because it's not that hard to put the clues together. And I was just like, oh, no, Ivy, you're disappointing Mrs. Webb. Don't do it. But I think this feels more like a character book. Absolutely. This is probably why I loved it so much. It was really about Ivy seeing that just just because you have magic doesn't mean everything is automatically better. It doesn't mean you can fix everything. It doesn't magically, haha, make you a better person. Like, only you can do that. I actually think this book has an incredibly happy ending because Ivy solves the mystery. She solves a mystery. She removes a very, like, abusive teacher via blackmail. I'll take it. And she gets her She gets her guy. She gets him. And she gets closure with her feelings about magic and her feelings for her sister, too. And so, I mean, I really think this book has, like, a pretty hopeful ending. I felt great after finishing it. A lot of, I don't know. A lot of the reviews I read were like, what's the noise they made? They're all wrong. <laughs> Literature is subjective, Anna. Sure. How many space bees would you give this? I would give five space bees. I'm also giving it five space bees. Wow, we truly are fangirl happy hour today. Look at all these space bees. All right, Anna, what have you been obsessed with recently? Reading. It's so good to fall back in the routine of picking books one after another after another after another that I hadn't had in a while because I was so busy and so stressed and so anxious that I couldn't find the headspace for just reading for fun. At one point, I was like, I don't like reading anymore. I was just not finding it in me. And I think after this break this year from everything, pretty much, I have been just reading for fun, doing the occasional reviews here and there. I say that I'm obsessed with because I keep adding books to my wish list and to my to my saved on script and to my and I keep looking at audiobooks on Audible and August the first and I've read eighty two books so far this year. That's a lot of books. I know. I'm so pleased with myself because the past couple of years, I read like 60 in total. So I'm aiming for 150 this year. Well, I'm glad you got your reading mojo back. Can you send me some? (laughs) I'll try. What about you? What's your current obsession? So I've played this game several times. This is my third playthrough, but Horizon Zero Dawn. Once I hit my reading slump, I was really frustrated. I really just wanted to do something that wasn't stressful. So like I restarted Horizon Zero Dawn after uh, Diana like mentioned it and put it on story mode. And it's been really relaxing uh, as I'm playing the game and like living through all these little stories again in the game. I'm just reminded that it's not that I don't need stories. Maybe it's just that I don't need stories in the format of books right now. Maybe I just need to have a story that come in a different format for a little while and renew myself. Uh, and I'm just trying, I'm not trying to beat myself up about, you know, not reading books right now. That's true. That That's what I was doing last year when I was in the reading slump, couldn't read it. I felt watching episodes of crime dramas really helped me. It's kind of like changing, it's kind of like changing the way that you 
engage with narrative a little bit maybe helps a little and i don't know if this will help me but i'm gonna give it i'm gonna finish my third playthrough of horizon zero dawn and see how i feel after that and not put so much pressure on myself i asked on twitter for some recommendations for books and i put them on all on the list and once i finish the game i'll pick one up and give it a try and we'll see if uh things have resolved but listen horizon zero dawn is still the greatest if our space bees have not yet played Horizon Zero Dawn, I highly recommend you go do that ASAP. There is a story mode. It is pretty easy. Even though it looks like you would be playing hours of a cultural appropriations game, that's not what's happening. It'll all make sense. Play the game. It's great. That's what I've been obsessed with. Space bees. When you are in reading slumps, how do you cope? What do you do to break out of your slumps? Why don't you let us know? Help us out. Fangirl Happy Hour is supported by our Space Bees in the Patreon Hive, who keeps us motivated to become the best podcasters that we can be. Thanks go especially to our $5 patrons. A huge thanks to Jen, Hedwig, Elisa, Dervla, and Claire. To Margo, Chelsea, KJ, Karen, Ms. Mozzivella, and Jocelyn. Thank you. Thanks to Trans and Dancing, Amanda, Robin, Philip, Tara, and Mark. To Eliza M., Daniel, Brandy, Anne-Marie, and Amy, your great thanks. You've been listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Thanks to Susan, who transcribes all of our episodes, as well as our show artist, Ira. Their work is available at fangirlhappyhour.com. Don't forget to drink water. Don't put pressure on yourself. Be kind to the most important person in your life, you. Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode. Plane, do you gotta? Do you gotta? Do you gotta be that way?